On a cold, windy day in April, I make a visit to the Idaho State Correctional Institution. This is one of the state prisons where Adri Edmo has been incarcerated since 2012. To get to what's known as the yard, I'm buzzed through two metal gates. It's a fenced area outside with a little bit of grass, some walkways. It's everything you might expect in a prison. Tall metal fences with spiraled barbed wire up top. In classrooms, small groups of men stare at books and fiddle with pencils while a teacher talks. Most everything is painted beige or gray, or sometimes dark blue. Long concrete buildings contain hundreds of cells. In the dining hall, inmates have to check in before they dish up for lunch. C-67B. What is it? C-67B. C-71A. You're As I was touring around, a few inmates were curious about my microphone. Is this for This American Life? Beat the love that show. I'm sorry, I thought you were Terry Gross. When I visit the gym, there are about a dozen guys playing basketball, a few lifting weights. I immediately notice one inmate leaning against a railing above some bleachers. In this sea of men in green t-shirts and cropped hair, she stands out. My name's Taylor, Taylor Boland. Taylor Boland is a trans woman. Her long blonde hair is pulled up with some tendrils loosely framing her face. It's hard being a girl in a male prison. It's really hard. Every day is really hard. It sucks. What sucks about it? So for me personally, I've already got like a ton of insecurities and being around all these men that just like to... They're either like catcalling at you or trying to put you down. It's always one of the two, you know what I mean? I don't know what Taylor means. I think it's hard to imagine life in prison at all, much less the experience of trans women in an all-male facility. But I wanted to learn more. You're listening to Locked, a podcast from Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau. I'm Amanda Peacher. And I'm producer Frankie Barnhill. I'm jumping in to help tell parts of this story. If you're just finding the podcast, we suggest you go back and start with episode one. Things will make more sense in the story that way. And just a heads up, in this episode, there will be graphic descriptions of self-harm and a mention of sexual assault. When we last heard from Adri Edmo, she was on her way to Idaho State Prison, facing a 10-year sentence. That was back in 2012, when she was still known as Mason. And very soon after she's locked up in the all-male prison, she acknowledges something huge about herself. She's not a gay man, but a transgender woman. The next few years are pivotal for Adri. She'll change her name, she'll start asking for medical care to treat her new diagnosis, and she'll challenge the state of Idaho in court to demand the care she says she needs. Adri's case is arguably the most significant court battle over the rights of transgender inmates that the state has ever fought. And her case could have national significance for transgender inmates like her if she wins. When I met Taylor and a couple other inmates, I asked them if there's a sense of community among the LGBTQ inmates in prison. We don't all really get along. You all get along. No, we don't get along for the most part. <laughs> Why is that? Um, Rylan Pacheco chimes in here too. He and Taylor are friends. Kind of feels like it turns into almost like a competition type yeah. thing on like who can be the best one or who can like get the most dudes' attention type thing, kind of and. A lot of it ends up just being a lot of drama. Rylan identifies as a gay man. He says it's also hard for him to make friends in prison. 
Not only is there the fact that a lot of people don't want to be seen hanging out with you a lot here because it might make them look a certain way, but then a lot of times the people that do come and talk to you, really their mind's only in one place, you know what I'm saying? And it's not a genuine, I want to be your friend type thing. It just kind of gets old. It's just kind of like, it's just like they're not really talking to you like a person. It's more objectifying you. I asked Taylor if the prison makes accommodations for trans women like her. The staff in our unit lets us shower during recall when everyone's supposed to be in their cell. But... It's still really uncomfortable. She's allowed to style her hair in a feminine way and wear makeup. But that wasn't always the case. And Taylor believes Adri has a lot to do with that. Adri and I kind of butt heads a little bit, but I will say that she did a lot for all of us in here. She did, so she did do a lot. She opened up a lot of doors for all of us, a lot of opportunities. For, through her case? Yeah. 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 How do you butt heads? Um, I just think all girls do, to some extent. How would you just describe Adri as a, as a person? She's very smart. She's very, very book smart. Taylor purses her lips and doesn't want to say any more. You may be wondering why I'm not talking to Adri here. Well, as you may remember from our last episode, Adri's attorneys didn't want her to talk to a journalist while her case is pending. We did email back and forth early on, and I told Adri who I am and what I'm doing. She shared some of her story with me on the record, and you'll hear parts of that. But going back to Taylor and Rylan and what they can tell me about Adri, they say Adri loves her makeup. She would spend a lot of time getting ready. Getting ready, like Like we spend a lot of time in the mirror doing her hair. In our emails, Adri tells me that she spends a lot of time primping. She has a very specific makeup routine, starting with CoverGirl foundation and then shimmery CoverGirl eyeshadow. She outlines her brows and then fills them in to create, quote, evenly sassy sculpted eyebrows. Next, she takes a finely sharpened pencil, swabs some mascara from the wand onto the tip. She dabs some at the corner of her eye and on her top lid, creating what she calls her fierce Queen Cleopatra infamous cat eye. A little mascara, a little bit of blush, and that's it for makeup. Adri's dark brown hair falls just past her shoulders, and sometimes she straightens it, sometimes she curls it. But all this is after Adri complained and pushed the prison to change its policies. Before that, Rylan and Adri got creative with makeup. I've seen her make makeup out of uh, water-soluble colored pencils, crush them down, make them a powder or whatever, or one time I did her nails by... We file, or I got a, I got an emery board and filed them down, colored them with my colored pencils, and then colored them with wax. With floor wax. Just random stuff <laughs> like that, yeah, with floor wax. It just made them look shiny. <laughs> yeah. All of this is to say, yes, Adri loves makeup, but it's also more than that. For some trans women, makeup can be a way to alleviate the stress that can come with having a body that doesn't match who you feel like inside. Being incarcerated is rough no matter who you are. But for trans men and women, it can be really, really rough. All trans women who are incarcerated as men are facing daily invalidation of who they are. I talked with Gabriel Arkless, a senior staff attorney with the American Civil Liberties Union. He's worked with a lot of trans inmates. They're being told, often in many different ways, often through repeated misgendering, um, also through the rules that are applied to them, what type of clothing items they're allowed to have, that they aren't really women. 
they can't be women, that they will be punished if they try to assert that they are women. According to a report by the National Center for Transgender Equality and the National Gay and Lesbian Task Force, the incarceration rate for transgender people is really high, 16%. For Native American transgender people like Adri, it's even higher, 30%. And for African Americans, it's a staggering 47%. Gabriel says there's a couple reasons for that. High rates of poverty in trans communities due to family rejection and employment and education discrimination. When people are very poor, they sometimes commit crimes to survive. Adri says she made a lot of bad decisions in the years before prison when she was abusing alcohol heavily. She says alcohol helped disguise some of the inner turmoil about her gender identity. But she says it was in prison that she was able to put a name to the stress she'd been living with. Just a few months after her incarceration, an in-house psychiatrist diagnoses her with gender dysphoria. That's the medical term for the crippling anxiety some trans people feel because their gender identity doesn't match the body they were born with. She requests hormone treatment and gets it. Not every transgender person experiences gender dysphoria, but of the 60 to 70 trans inmates in the Idaho Department of Correction, 40 of them do. The diagnosis triggers a few things. So we have kind of a multi-step process. That's Wally Campbell, chief psychologist for the department. He says once an inmate is diagnosed, a team of people talk about how to treat their gender dysphoria. It can be hormone replacement therapy. It could be a housing change. So we try to bring in multiple perspectives on that. Wally says in the prison environment, he has to be careful about diagnosing gender dysphoria. I mean, in prison, everybody's got to hustle. And for some inmates, that means using sex. When transgender women like Adri start taking hormones, they grow breasts and develop more feminine features. And so we try to be mindful of that because we don't really want to extend a lot of the gender dysphoria services if there's a concern that this really has kind of a primary sexual kind of thing. And so part of the idea is if someone is trying to hustle for sex, then if you, if you administer hormones and they become more feminine in appearance, then they might be more attractive to a certain, a certain That's subset? certainly one possibility. Certainly one possibility. Sometimes there's, there's a market for those things. I, I think sometimes it comes across like we're playing gotcha. And the idea is not to play, we're, we gotcha, we're not going to give the diagnosis. The idea is to try to take these really complex people who are in a really complex environment and try to kind of untangle that knot. Wally couldn't speak about Adri Edmo in particular because her legal case is still pending. But he says more generally, when somebody identifies as transgender for the first time in prison, he flags that. I want to affirm that transgender identity, but I want to be very mindful about what does that really mean? Some of these individuals we work with have pretty, in my opinion, kind of dysfunctional ideas about what gender really is, what masculinity really is. And again, that's not a deal breaker, but those are things I feel like we really need to kind of untangle before we, you know, start doing kind of medical interventions and things like that. Even though we weren't able to record an interview with Adri, we did speak with someone who has been through a lot of the same challenges. You have a prepaid call from Jessica Allen, an inmate at Idaho State Correctional Institution. Set this call, press 5. Yeah, my name is uh, Jesse 
Stover, or AKA Jessica Ellen Stover. And uh, I'm a transgender incarcerated at the Idaho State Correctional Institution. Jessie went to prison when she was 18 for a sex crime that she admits involved a five-year-old. She's serving a life sentence, although she could get parole at some point. And so I basically grew up in prison. She says she came out as trans while incarcerated in the early 2000s and became sort of a leader in the trans community there. She sued the prison and the private company that managed the facility at the time for how prison staff treated her while in their care. And so we were getting DORs for wearing makeup or for doing our hair feminine. And, you know, and that caused a lot of undue stress to us as transgenders. And so... DOR stands for Disciplinary Offense Report. Adri also gets these while in prison, at least 30 in total. And they can be a big deal. Depending on the type or number of disciplinary reports you receive, it can affect your opportunities for parole and how you're housed while behind bars. And like Adri... Jessie was diagnosed with gender dysphoria and started receiving hormones. Jessie says her diagnosis didn't protect her from being treated differently by the prison staff or from being sexually harassed. Part of my lawsuit had to do with uh, staff harassment over ordering me to show them my breast and stuff, five officers in a, in a room, and I felt that was sexual harassment. Her lawsuit claims she was also sexually assaulted. Adri reports similar experiences. Unfortunately, that's not unusual. The report we mentioned earlier also says 15% of transgender inmates are sexually assaulted while incarcerated. Like Adri, Jessie took desperate measures to alleviate her gender dysphoria. And a heads up here, this is going to be graphic. Pretty much took a a spoon, and I tied a string around my testicles, and then I started twisting the the spoon through the thread, and um, I just kept doing it until they they were like, you know, it was like going, they were going numb, and... um, And then I just, I don't know, I was crying the whole time. Self-castration attempts are incredibly dangerous, but they are rare, and pretty much the only time they happen is among inmates. In the end, Jessie settled her case. It's not clear yet how much longer she'll be in prison. Her next parole hearing date is October 2020. These days, Jessie doesn't get written up for wearing mascara or eyeliner at the prison. Jessie says that's a big deal. But if I get stressed out one day about who am I, if I start thinking who am I, what am I, and I go and I put my makeup on, it relieves that stress for me, and then I have a good day. Jessie wants gender reassignment surgery. She's not hopeful that will happen in prison. Instead, she says once she gets out, she'll try to save up for the procedure. For Adri, though, waiting is not an option. Over the years, her requests for medical care go from polite to urgent. In 2012, she writes, I am a transsexual male. I would like to start hormone therapy and talk to Dr. Craig. Thank you. In 2014, she writes, need sex reassignment surgery ASAP. 
These requests also reflect how she feels about her genitalia. She asks for jock straps and female underwear. She writes, Panties help me tuck my disgusting penis and keep it out of sight. Smiley face. But the prison says there's no medical need for women's panties. So once again, Adri gets creative. She alters her men's underwear to be more feminine. And then she gets written up for destruction of property. Class C, you are for destruction of property under $25. Edmo, do you understand the information written as a DOR? Yes. Did you sign a copy of the DOR? This is a recording of Adri and an officer at a disciplinary hearing after she's given a DOR for altering green men's briefs. What about the green underwear? The green ones are altered, and I did alter them. It provides more support that I need. Okay. Um, You and I, I think, have had this conversation for the same thing before. I get it. Just know that when you when you alter those things, you get caught, you'll get held accountable. Yeah. Okay. Modifying underwear is one way Adri tries to live as a woman. She tries other things, but it's hard. At least initially, before she files her lawsuit, guards tell her to take down her hair from a ponytail or wash makeup off. And when she doesn't, she's written up for those things too. I spoke with Adri's lead attorney about this, Lori Rifkin. For behaviors that have no real bearing on how the prison functions or the safety of the prison. So a custody officer would give Adri a disciplinary write-up for the height of her ponytail, whether it was too far up on her head or too far low on her head. And this would be the cause for discipline. One day she wears makeup to her clerical job at the prison, but an officer tells her to wash it off. According to Adri, the officer says the makeup makes her look like a slut. Adri does wash it off, but the interaction shakes her to tears, and she meets with a mental health clinician about it. Adri feels powerless. She feels trapped between being true to herself and obeying the rules. The clinician talks with her about transphobia and warns Adri, these are the kinds of encounters you might face in the outside world, too. Adri gets in other trouble, too. She has write-ups for assault, one against another trans inmate. She gets in trouble for unauthorized tattoos and sexual contact with another prisoner. Because she accrues so many disciplinary offenses, in 2015, she's denied parole. During this time, Adri says she's harassed by prison staff, who mostly refer to her with masculine pronouns. She says one prison staffer told her, you can't walk like that. Guys don't walk like that. She has to shower in an open stall next to men. Medical staffers also refer to Adri as him or he, or they consciously avoid using any pronoun at all. In April 2016, Adri gets one thing that she wants, to sit down with a doctor and talk about sex reassignment surgery. This is a few months after she first tries to castrate herself with a razor. She arrives to the appointment wearing foundation and has filled in her eyebrows with a pencil. Adri tells the psychiatrist, a guy named Dr. Eliason, that she's distressed. She's been on hormones, which has helped her gender dysphoria, but she has ongoing frustrations because of her anatomy. She says that's why she tried to castrate herself. But ultimately, the doctor says surgery is not medically necessary for Adri. It's his opinion that for now, hormone treatment and counseling are sufficient for her. He writes in his notes that prison staff say Adri is functioning well in the correctional setting. He says, quote, 
I have also personally observed the inmate in these settings and did not observe significant dysphoria. Dr. Eliasson says he'll continue to monitor Adri and assess if the surgery is necessary. Eight months later, Adri tries to castrate herself a second time. This time, she gets further. She researches the anatomy of the scrotum to determine the best incision point. She successfully cuts open her scrotum and nearly removes her right testicle. But she stops when there's so much blood she can no longer see what she's cutting. Prison officials take Adri to a hospital emergency room and her testicle is stitched back in. When Adri awakes from the anesthesia, she's disappointed. After this second castration attempt, Adri is resolved. She believes she has a legal case. Ryland Pacheco, the inmate you heard from earlier, shared a cell with Adri for a time. She did work very hard at what she's accomplished as far as where her case is at and stuff. Like I would come in and almost every single day she'd be writing, 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 and then recopying it into her player or, you know, like she did, she did work really hard at it. And in April 2017, she takes a huge step. She submits her legal complaint against the Idaho Department of Correction and Corizon, the prison health care provider. It's a 41-page handwritten document. And she did an amazing job of putting together her own complaint before she had a lawyer. That's Adri's lead attorney, Lori Rifkin, again. The work that she did, the research she did, the knowledge that she had, um, and really the strength of will to keep going. Because when you're in prison and you file grievances, there's a lot of retaliation that you risk right there. And, and Adri persevered through all of that. In a lot of ways, Adri grew up in prison. In her emails to me, she tells me when she arrived there, it was the first time she's been clear-headed and sober in years. And from what I glean from court records and Adri's writings, she becomes a voracious researcher. She reads about gender theory. One book in particular resonates with her. It's a trans-feminist manifesto by an activist named Julia Serrano. Adri also reads about the history of two-spirited people, gender non-conforming Native Americans. She has several relationships with men. And in December 2017, it appears she enters into a domestic partnership with another inmate, a guy who's in on burglary charges. prison, Adri says she doesn't stay in touch with all that many people from her past, but folks in Fort Hall are aware of her case. And it's controversial. I met up with Cheyenne Kaywood, who is one of Adri's old friends. Cheyenne supports Adri's decision for surgery and says it bothers her that people are negative about it. I hate how people are so judgmental. Cheyenne used to party and drink with Adri back when she was known as Mason. So I'm looking forward to when he gets out, she, whatever. <laughs> you know, because our lives has changed a lot, and it's not going to be the same. I want to see what the future is going to be like now. Yeah. You know.
Adri says she knows that gender confirmation surgery is not going to solve all of her problems. When she addresses the federal court before the original ruling in her favor, she says it's not a magical operation. Quote, I'm still going to face the same stressors that we all face in everyday life, you know, medical, family, relationship issues. I just know that after having gotten the surgery, it's going to put me at a level a lot better to handle those types of situations than I am now. When she gets out in 2021, Adri says she wants to go to college, maybe to become a paralegal or an endocrinologist. In our emails, she tells me that she's resigned to the fact that she's estranged from her mom and other family. Quote, I'm mature enough now to understand that some may choose not to support me, and I will cut those people from my life in hopes of gaining people who will support me, uplift me, and help me grow. My hope is one day I will make a family of my own who love me unconditionally. I know turmoil, pain, hurt, despair too well. It's time I experience love, hope, faith, and happiness. Because, as Dolly Parton once said, you can't have a rainbow without the rain. And that surgery, it is a complicated procedure. There are a lot of steps you have to take before you can undergo gender confirmation surgery. It's irreversible and life-altering. There are some people who question the need for it, and there are only a handful of doctors who can do it. Of all the surgeries I've done, I think this is the most fascinating anatomic dissection and then recreation. It just makes sense when you're doing it. I do think we're going to we're going to be quite aghast when we look at this generations from now and say, I cannot believe that we that we took these steps. I had basically lied to myself my entire life. I did all kinds of of manly things, and it was all a lie. That's next time on Locked. This episode of Locked was reported and produced by me, Amanda Peacher. And me, Frankie Barnhill. You can find us on Twitter at Amanda Peacher and at F.A. Barnhill. Our team also includes writer and producer Lacey Daly and reporter James Dawson. Our managing editor is Kate Kincannon with the Mountain West News Bureau. Stephen Cray is our audio engineer. Tom Michael is Boise State Public Radio's general manager. Special thanks to our colleagues Heath Drusen and Shalan Lippincott. We had research help from intern Brooklyn Reepma and Lisa Rogers. Mary Lou Holmes and Monique Betancourt helped with transcriptions. Our theme music is by Boise musician Up Is The Down Is The. We'd love to hear your feedback and your questions. Write us a note or record a voice memo and send it to lockedpod at gmail.com with your name and where you're from. This podcast is a production of Boise State Public Radio and the Mountain West News Bureau. Learn more at boisestatepublicradio.org. Thank you.